Hello, everyone. I am Marcibel, and this is the Marcibel Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the More Civil Podcast, the podcast about culture and cultural nomads designed for blacks and Asians and those who love them. It's a Sunday morning. I'm giving me a while for my brain to like stop voting. Uh, on the show today, I have a longtime friend and um, according to him, he's another Nigerian in diaspora trying to make a home in his new environment. Although he trained and worked as a physician before moving to the US, he currently works in healthcare administration as an analyst. His work does not define him certainly. Rather, it's his rotary affiliation that he credits for much of his experience and culture. He has been a part of Rotary for almost 20 years. He's also the immediate past president of Rotary E-Club 1. He lives currently now with his family in the Houston metro area. Everyone join me welcoming Dr. Nabuchi Anekbayezi to a podcast. Get a card <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, should I call you Dr. Akwe or should I call you Because I know between this is a podcast. Yeah, but sure? I know I it's a podcast, but I think, um, oh no, I mean, Butchie, you know, make it a little bit more relatable. So let's, let's, let's keep it All at right, Butchie. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> thank you very much. It's a pleasure oh, to be with you here. So I met Butchie, well, I didn't really meet him, but I was introduced to him, um, in 2010, 2011, thereabouts. And, um, it was on Facebook. One of my friends had shared his post on Twin Cities, Minnesota. I'd applied to University of Minnesota, which is, which is based in Twin City. And I saw the post. I was like, hey, your friend, can you please introduce me to your friend? I applied to his school. I'd like to talk to him more. And the friend, the mutual friend, which is Lothar, thank you so much, by the way, Lothar, introduced us and we got talking. Yeah. Yeah, I eventually went to University of Texas, but I kept in touch with Buchi. So I think I've seen the phases of Buchi. <laughs> I've seen many faces of Butchie. Butchie has seen many faces of yeah. me as well. Uh, when it's American yeah. struggle, man, you guys, you have no idea. Which I could write a whole book yeah. with it. But he's, he's someone that, yeah. you know, um, is very dependable. I can always call him up and ask him questions. He's always full of advice and he's always willing to listen and help. And so, thank you so much for that. <laughs> and so that's how we met. It's been, yeah. you know, we started with Facebook and then we started talking. And then he moved from Minnesota to Houston. And then we found out that we even had some friends in common as well. So, um, give us yeah. a little bit more about you because I know you schooled in UI. Okay. I did. What was growing up in Nigeria for, yeah. like, for you first before we go into the, you know, the biggest things? You know, growing up in Nigeria was, um, was quite interesting for me. You know, I would say, um, because I lived in different cities. I, I read about your, about yourself that you put on your website and you call yourself a cultural nomad. And I, I, and I see that description and I feel like the nomad aspect of that description captures my growing up yeah. in Nigeria because, um, yeah, I was born in southeastern part of Nigeria in Anambra yeah. State. Incidentally, I was born on a yeah. farm. One of those children that decided to come out when their mom was ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I spent the first four years of my life in the village, you know, doing what every village kid would do. And um, about um, four and a half years later, about I moved to Lagos. And then I went back to the east for secondary school. I went to um, the famous Dennis Memorial Grammar School on Nature. And then you you moved to Ibadan, moved, right? For, yes, for for university. What, so, what formed your choice to go to Ibadan? Because that was your first time going there. Was that just where you got there? No, for, no. Oh. So um, by the time or through secondary school, you know, there were a lot of things that were interesting, and um, that was at the time I started thinking of what do I want to be. 
know, mm. and the thoughts of that, um, I had this elder brother who was like, like a second father to me or something, you know, he's old enough to be my dad anyway. So he was my official guardian at the time. His name is Ima. So, uh, yeah, yes, my father. biological brother. Yes, yeah, same okay. mother, same father. You know how it is with us in the east. Yeah, you have so yeah. many children. You train one and leave that one to train the other. <laughs> so, <laughs> effective, effective delegation by proxy. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 if they don't want you, guilt them into doing it. You know. Yeah. After all, somebody paid your way. But, now it's time for you to pay a smart. Exactly. So he was, he was literally yeah. in that position, but he was doing it willingly anyway. So he was my official dad at the time. So I go to his house on holiday, drops all these books on me and stuff. So it got me reading. So true. Um, my interaction with him, I got to read a lot of novels, got to read Encyclopedia, got to read Guinness Books of Record, and I keep, um, and then I got to learn about something called the richest man in the universe, you know? I still see yeah. people were famous for different things. Either they had this important discovery, they win a Nobel Prize, or they get into the Guinness Book of Records, or they become the richest person. So my first focus was on the richest person of the year. Ah, as the evil, <laughs> as the evil guy that you are. Of course. <laughs> I, just, I just made a very cultural <laughs> inappropriate joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for a long while it was Bill Gates and I, I wanted to go into computer science. And um, usually when I read these things, I end up in the Ganders and Counseling Unit to go talk to them about career choices. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Initially, they were happy to oblige me, but after a while, so tired, so I was always coming every, almost every other day. But the head of the Ganders and Counseling Unit was an Anglican clergy, but he was quite influential in my life because um, when the staff got tired of me, he did not. He was always willing to talk to me. And somehow, he knows every talk. There's never something that he seems surprised or faced by, you know. He seems to have an answer. He seems to, it seems like he anticipates the next thing I'm going to come with. And at some point, I can't remember who was the richest man of the year, but I think he was a farmer. And I decided I want to be a farmer. So I went to the guardians and counseling unit and um, had this conversation with him and all that. And he played a crude joke on me. He decided, he said, well, he's going to encourage me and I need to start working early. So he brought out a section of the school farm and assigned it to me. But I, <laughs> I didn't have to learn. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There's your chance. <laughs> exactly. You know, that if I start early, maybe before I reach the man's age, I'll be rich. <laughs> 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 Of course, of course. He kept me, he kept me away from the guys I counseling for about months, you know, before I came yeah. back to resign from the family, you know. All this was building up. Outside of school, the most influential person was my elder brother, of course, Emma. Yeah. The things he does, the things he asked me to do and all that. And by the time I was getting to SS2, um, SS2, SS1, I was beginning to realize that I've never made a decision on my own. And for those that are not familiar with the Nigerian education system, SS2, SS3 is that last year before you, or the last two years before you make decisions to go into college. Right. Yeah, thanks for that. The, the college, is it 11 to 12? 11, 11, exactly. Yeah, I'm having to learn that now because of my son. So. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I started realizing that um, I've never made any decision on my own. That's all my decisions, mm. including going to DMGS, including going to Lagos, including everything I had done up to that point had been made for me. That the only decisions I've ever made to myself is walking into the guardians and counseling unit every now and then. So I was thinking, you know, where do I go to school? And I realized 
if left to chance, my elder brother, Ima, will be the one to make that decision again. And he was already beginning to make it. He was already dropping down, dropping school options for me, and, you know, telling me what would be good, what would not be good. So, you know, uh, it meant if I stay in Anambra State, which was, which my uh, um, Ima was pushing me towards, I would have had to go to Nambia Zikwe University. And he, his choice for me was for me to go study medicine, and I would have I had to go from home, or he would have to ask somebody who is one of his professor friends to be looking in on me, and um, that wasn't so an option. So, well, it kept going in my mind. I started thinking, where should I go? I want to go somewhere that would make him happy, but somewhere where his reach would not be that much. So, of course, in my, I think I believe I was 16 years old at the time. In my 16-year-old mind, that was the best I could do. Yeah, I got into Ibadan. And uh, that was um, the 98-99 school year. I went down. I resumed school. But it was really, really interesting, you know, with all the municipal crisis, student protests, student union, all those stuff. So it was fun. And frankly, that was the first time in my life I had no relative, no sibling, no cousin, no uncle, no auntie t- asking me to do this or do that. Right? To do anything. It was exactly. Issue. Even though it was associated with some hunger pangs anyway, but... I realized that it was time to do something other than me. I was looking for distractions. And that was when I remembered my um, encounter with Rotary. You know, my first encounter had been in high school, but it looked clickish at the time. My second encounter was um, post um, high school while I was living with my brother. He was a Rotarian. And I saw retractors who come to hang out around him and all that. And I was impressed by those retractors. So I remembered. I, I found the most prestigious club in school then, or rather in my mind, um, a club called Emerald Club. And in my mind, why they were prestigious was during the anniversary of the institution, they had, or at least the, so the story went, that they had influenced the donation of a hostel to the university. And I felt if this mm-hmm. could influence the president to donate a hostel to the university, that's the club I want to be part of. So you know, mm-hmm. I tried to get in with them, and um, when I found all their requirements, financial requirements, I realized that uh, <laughs> I couldn't afford to be a member of such a club, you know? <laughs> oh, you had to, like, put money down to be in part of yes, a club. Yes, you had to put money down, but it wasn't just the initial money. There was the regular dues, and then uh, any, uh, of, no one had to any of the older members <laughs> of the club could actually tax you for money also. So I decided it wasn't for me. It was like the pyramids came before it became <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No offense to those that Emerald Club. Maybe she would get offended. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, before it became, became MMM, it became very global. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So anyway, I was on my way going back to the hostel, depressed that my attempt to look for something other than myself did not work. And I was going back and someone's getting to my room, missed a step, I almost fell. So that forced me to raise my head up. And there, on the wall, posted there, was called for admission into Rotrat Club. Fact, oh, so you kind of <laughs> slammed into it, like, you ran face into it. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, almost into it, you know, like, huh. Literally, yeah. yeah. So it was like, wow, my brother's club, you know. And you know, I remember all the all the interesting retractors who were hanging around him. How they were all well dressed. How they were all well spoken. How they talk with animation about all the wonderful projects they do. All the places they travel to. And that seemed like the thing for me then, you know. And um, well, that was how I joined um Rotract Club of um U- University of Ibadan at the time. Ibarra. Yes, for those who don't know, Rotract is a program for Rotary for young persons aged. 
That's it. Yeah. So um, that helped. That helped me find some of my voice. You know, it helped me find myself. It helped me realize that look, sometimes we come to certain decisions or to certain pathways for different reasons. But once we make that decision, we have to own it and we have to live it. You know. And so um, I, I skilled through all of that. I finished up with medicine. By the time I was in medicine, I decided that um, I was going to finish this. Then I was going to do something for me. And I, I realized that that something for me was population health. And how I realized that was my extracurricular involvement during medical school. Drugs club with the campus journalism and with medical student associations. I realized that when we go for outreaches, when we go for public health campaigns and all that, that I liked that. It gave me some joy. Being able to affect people on a larger scale than the one person that or for that clinicians do. And the administrative yeah. parts of it, you know, looking at numbers, looking at trends, using it to predict, all those appeal to me. So I already knew I was going to do public health. So when, when I came out to do my public health degree, it was I chose Minnesota. That was a direct influence of my first two years of service as mm-hmm. a physician. You know, I worked in a teaching hospital, worked in a military hospital, and then worked in a mission hospital. I realized the differences between the three and compared it with healthcare while I was growing up. You know, when I was growing up, whether I was in the East, whether I was in Lagos, or even in Bado, when you get rushed in into a hospital in emergency, they take they took care of you without asking if you had the ability to pay, you know. And then afterwards, they will not start. They may keep you because you couldn't pay or something, but they will treat you first. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when I had graduated, I was being faced with this stuff about you rush somebody in emergency. The doctors are told to stand behind so that the nurses and administrative staff first of all determine the patient's ability to pay before you could even touch. That was gritting at me somehow, you know. And they were saying this all because of this national health insurance scheme, blah, 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 blah. And in my mind, I thought insurance was supposed to make care more accessible, less yeah. accessible, you know. And then I moved from the teaching hospital to the military hospital. There was a little bit easier because as a physician, most of the um, other staff there, they were not physicians. They were non-commissioned officers. Somehow they gave me some respect as if I'm a commissioned officer. So when a patient gets rushed in, and I insist that they go bring all the tools for me to work with before they determine patient's ability. They do that. Then I move from the military setting to the mission setting. Even though the mission folks didn't turn anybody away, but they had two sets of storage. They have one storage, they say charity, and one that is written private. So if they determine your ability <laughs> to pay, they go from that private, and that private is usually very well more no, it's not more expensive. It's just very well stocked. So if you have insurance or you have money, uh, that is where I, where I should go to. But if you don't have insurance or money, I should go to the charity. And the shelf almost literally nothing there. So it's just an indirect way of saying we're not chasing you away, but well, so, <laughs> extrusion by proxy. Exactly. So and you just have just enough to patch the person up and send them on to the next hospital. So it's just this game of sending somebody from A to B to C without anybody clearly saying we're denying you care, but effectively that is what is happening. So I thought, if this insurance scheme, you know, disrupting healthcare in this way, and supposedly we copied it from the U.S., that would be a good place to get my public health degree, at least to understand what the original version of what we're trying to copy because evidently this is not being helpful because he's, he's making care less accessible than it was. So that was why the U.S., that was why um, my public health degree was in um, administration and policy 
because I thought I needed to understand the policy, you know. And uh, that was my journey to Minnesota, you know. So it was it was originally um, a trip to um, you know to come end the degree, come back and contribute. And all through the degree, I was you know going back to Nigeria constantly, trying to um, be sure that I did not lose touch. And when I was done with the degree, I actually did make an attempt to. Um, Try to go fit back into Nigeria, but when I was back in Nigeria, it was um, difficult fitting back in. One, um, public health had advanced a lot since I left. There were more people into it. It was no longer a novelty. There were more. It wasn't. Of, it wasn't just doctors. Yes, it wasn't just doctors anymore. But um, mm-hmm. even the doctors, I couldn't compete with because most of them did it alongside their postgraduate training. So yeah. they had edges over me. So it was like. Yes, the only difference I had was I had a foreign degree. Other than that, most of the people I'll be competing with have everything I have plus more. They were on ground, they were working. So even on merit, it would be difficult for me to compete with them. So I, I figured I needed to get something they did not have. I considered a doctorate degree. So okay, that was, that was still was a novel. That was still novel. Maybe I should go try that. So it was either that or to go for a clinical postgraduate training and I mean I, I've had my fair share of clinical trainings I wasn't about to get into that again so I decided to get into the doctoral program but while I was in the doctoral program uh, I continued going back to Nigeria but the more I went back home the more I realized that it was beyond being able to find a job offer in Nigeria I no longer fit in yeah. There was, um, it, it, I, I realized that I just had these ideas of what home is, of what Nigeria is. Not much, exactly. So that was it for me, you know. It was, um, it was happening. I was, you know, and it battled I was home for a long while. And I even still maintained a, a house that was being rent for throughout my public health degree. I went back yeah. to Ibadan. It was the same feeling. Abuja, the same feeling mm-hmm. in the East, you know. So I, and then, it wasn't like I fit so much well here in the U.S. anyway because I had held so much onto Nigeria, telling myself no, I was here, here just yeah. for a brief while. Yeah. I did not allow myself to acculturize here. So <laughs> I was the foreigner here, and I was feeling like a stranger back where it should be home. So it was, yeah. it was really nowhere. And I was still in that state of flux, you know, until, uh, you know, until marriage came along the way. And, um, <laughs> like, yes, so do you feel neither here or there? No, that's changing. And, um, or that has changed to a large extent one because you know when when I got married and um, I met my wife here in Houston and um, we spoke about me wanting to go to Nigeria and she telling me hey you know that Nigerian thing <laughs> I don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> what you mean boo what you mean anybody going back home <laughs> you know so and uh, I, I was like okay fine Maybe if I take her home once or twice and what have you, uh, maybe she will start feeding the Nigerian <laughs> thing. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you took her home during Christmas because that's about the only exciting time. No, so I, I personally don't like going home during Christmas. It's so rowdy and I don't like crowds. Uh, so we went home in April and um, yeah, that was the worst time for us to have gone. One, the electricity was out. We had <laughs> so we have to go buy um, a standing um, what's it called um, AC unit 
that's one of those Nigerian things that your power type to help to make it. Uh, we had to get the generator and run the generator through all while so that there will be light, but the noise that came with the generator was something else to be written. Was it worth it? <laughs> the shower worked sometimes, some other times not so. You know, so it was, you were, if, even if, even if I was in Nigeria and that was my first time in Nigeria, I wouldn't want to, <laughs> I wouldn't feel it. So, but, you know, we, we, we coming back here and I realizing, you know, taking a stock of my life and realizing that, um, the longest I've been in any city was Ibadan. The longest I've related to any person at home, any place at home was Ibadan. That beyond Ibadan, I've always moved with myself and I've always moved with all my possessions, which could fit into one box. I mean, by that, I mean the, the little books that I, I, I feel nostalgic to, the odd pictures that I yeah. take along with memory. Every other thing, whenever I move, I leave behind and we acquire new. And I realized that every one of those things was with me here in Houston, you know? And now, uh-huh. hey, I was married, you know? So literally, you, you can't... I carry home with you, you just I just didn't it. know it, yes. You know, as, as a physician moving here, like using a student visa, I get a master's degree or PhD degree, but the ultimate goal to always write the USMLE, which is the United States Medical Licensure Exams, and then you're going to practice. Was that not something you ever... So, it, it, before I came here, it wasn't something that was on the radar for me, because for me, it was to come learn the policy that is disrupting my country's healthcare system and then go. So when I got here, the focus was the focus was on that. But everybody around me, like you noted, um, yeah. were physicians and they were people who wanted to do SMLE, and they were all you know writing, reading for it. And I won't deny it. You know, I was tempted. I flirted with the idea. I registered with the ECFMG. That's the agency that is responsible for. Foreign trained doctor. I registered with them. You know, I got my um, credentials evaluated. You know, and accepted. And I registered for USMLE Step One. I even bought the books and everything. You know, everybody around me was doing it. You know, and you want, you want, you want to be that peer pressure. That's even when it's not apparent, is there. So I wanted to do what they were all doing. I was reading with reading this for this exam. Until someday, you know, I kind of like stopped myself mid-sentence. I think I was trying to, what's it called? I was trying to recall craft circle, you know, and we should, we should supposedly come easy to me, given my background from yeah. biochemistry. That's, the, that's anaerobic, right? Lactic acid, yeah. I know that. So, I'm trying to draw from yeah. memory. Yeah. Now. But, <laughs> but, you know, ahead. like, um, it, it wasn't coming so straight up. Yeah. You haven't used that in a while. It's not so, applicable. Nothing. You know, it was a step to yeah. something. Yeah. So, and I was struggling <laughs> too. And I, that got me to like, how did I get here? And I reminded myself why I came. Mm. And because at that point, I would um, remove everything, anything that could have tied me down to the U.S., I didn't want to give any appearance of sinking roots because I felt that would deviate me from the goal of heading back home. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So... I just dropped the books, pushed them aside, and the exam. As I felt that um, if I had written the exam, then I've said bye-bye to home, and I wasn't ready to do that, at least not at that time. So, Looking, looking back now, do you have any regrets doing this? I do not. I do not. Okay. Um, the, the, I mean, would I have done things differently looking back? Yes, because I realized that in the first three years I was in this country, I closed every option that may have allowed me to stay. I, I, was, um, I had a tunnel vision. So 
if I if I had, had to do this again, I would have left my options a little bit open, you know? and, oh, yeah. because that would have made my transition a lot less painful <laughs> than it was, you know. But yeah, yeah. but I, I do not regret not writing the exam. But you you just showed that you really love Nigeria. I don't know why, but you you had a goal. You wanted to like, take whatever you learned and go back home, which is what most of us come here to do. But then after a while, you start seeing that. Man, going back is not as easy as the way you left it. Like it's not gonna be easy to like integrate into that system and do. It's it's not it's not and and the love for Nigeria it's um it's family because um my family exactly. you know like so but um you know um when I mentioned family though it was um as a result of um almost everyone in my family being civil servant all work for the gods in one party or the other. And then my elder brother, Ima, again. You see, he keeps cropping up in every Imagine. story. My education, road tree, yeah. and everything, he keeps well, cropping thank up. thank you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he has, he's usually saying, has the saying, saying that, look, Nigeria is every one of us, not just the president, not just the people. That it's all of us that would make Nigeria good. It's all of us that would make it okay. And that if you see something wrong, that, that, and you're not willing to be part of the change, then you are part of Problem, you know, problem. and mm-hmm. you say that when you use government, that's your job to help affect the policy, affect the change, and all that. You know, you had so many opportunities to go into the private sector as a pharmacist, but you, you was determined to remain in. Government. Oh, he's a pharmacist. Yes, he's a pharmacist. Yes. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I have like a special job for brother. <laughs> yes, he's a pharmacist. Yes. So oh, he felt like he wanted to stay in the. Um, public sector to rise to the level where it's able to influence policy you know so and and that was always at the back of my mind to be part of that change to be part of that change you know so um yeah that's this is where we are now so you said one of the things you regretted was having that on vision. You probably would have made your options, you know, more open. Are there other, if you could go back again, are there other regrets you have? And I'm asking this for those who might be listening to the show that I've maybe crossed at that intersection where you were many years ago. So I, I realized that every parent wants to protect their child. And not just your biological parents, even your adoptive parents, even your guardians. They want to protect you. They want the best for you. They want to. They want you in such a way that someday you can independently take care of yourself. It gives them joy. They can stand behind and smile. Yes, that's my boy. That's my girl. You know. And I, I realize that um, sometimes when they make decisions on our behalf, it's because. They, they believe we do not have the ability or we're not mature enough or we are not confident in the choices we want to make. And that yeah. when we're able to show them that we're confident in those choices and that we have all the, we have, we have the tools at our disposal, they are willing to give us that leeway and even allow us to make some mistakes. So I, so one of the, um, regrets I have is that I never discussed with my brother that I really wanted to do biochemistry or, microbiology and i never even all those discussions i had with the guidance and counseling unit i never had them with him he didn't understand the motivations pushing me he didn't even realize that the biochemistry i was doing in a battle that i got it on merit he thought it was just oh they gave it to me because he couldn't enter into medicine i I feel that if we had had that open conversation that things might have turned out differently you know and he would perhaps have encouraged me a lot more because yeah i, I seemed confused to him and truly i was confused also that mm-hmm. um and that um his decisions at the time was to protect me and you know you grew up in nigeria you know before the banks became employer of every profession there was a time that it was difficult that if you didn't do medicine you didn't do um 
like yeah, that, some yeah. of those courses yeah. we call professional courses, quote and unquote. Courses, yeah. Medicine, pharmacy, medicine, yeah. and law. That's you find it difficult. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You find it difficult getting a job. a job. So all parents yeah. are trying to protect yeah. their children, you know, so that someday you move away from home and not have to run to yeah. them for pocket money. So I realized that was the conversation we should have had. Yeah. And and I, and I think maybe maybe the reason you guys didn't have that conversation not because you didn't really um, express perspective because it had assumed the role of a parent. Yes. I mean, Nigerian parents sometimes you feel like there's that barrier between you and them, like not even like really telling them exactly what you want to do. Yeah. Because you feel like they might either pull you out of it or they just yes. you know discourage you from it. Yeah. That is it exactly. That is it. Exactly. He became more than a brother. He became like a parental figure. He, be- so you he became a parent actually, yeah. actually. In fact, his yeah, his yeah. friends thought I was his first son. And he never, cor- he never corrected any of them, you know. So, <laughs> Where's he now? Where's is he still in Nigeria? He's in Nigeria. Yeah, he works for the Anambra State Government. Yeah, he's still, he's still, he's still in government service. So, wow, does yeah. he have kids? Yes, he has kids. He has three you kids. You need to sponsor yes. those kids. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean. I know what you mean, of course. <laughs> yeah. So, so that that was one of one one regret point. Another one yeah. was that yeah. um, right now I work in healthcare IT. Mm-hmm. And I look back and I ask myself that could I have just gone to write that polytechnic examination and gone to go and do information technology polytechnic as I considered years back? That's you know maybe I would have found the joy earlier than <laughs> but having to complete the medicine and come back you know full circle back in there. Yeah. But that's not um, that's a partial regret, not a full regret because um, there are so many things I know today just because I went to medical school and yeah. because I went to a medical school. Medical school was competitive, very competitive. As in, there were so many things that I, I got to learn. I took time to get involved with that. If I had not gone to medical school, maybe I would not have discovered. So and. Mm-hmm. There's this um, poem I write, but I've not written in a long while. There's this poem that I had written in the past where I was asking myself um, if um, I were to do things differently, if I would make a different different choice. So the title of the poem is um, A Spectator. So and I had written this while I was sitting in, um, I believe it was a pathology class. It's um, perchance I were to be a spectator, watching the self go through his daily routine. Would I find him worthy of me? Would I wish we are not? Would I wonder he's being victimized? He's playing the victim. Can I justify his esteem? Can I do his confidence? Did he gain from my insights? Were his ways to change? Then I wouldn't be me. Wow. That's true. Every experience we have played yeah. a role in bringing us to where we are, molding us into who we are right now. And every person in that role, like you as a, I mean every person, it's still you, yeah. but that stage you are in those, in, at those different times, is to teach you something. It all connects to, from the bigger picture. Yeah. Almost like puzzles, yeah. like collage, trying to fit into the big puzzle. Yeah. Oh, no. that's really deep. Yeah, so you know, I, I ended up telling myself that, um, you know, the counterfactual, the various what ifs, that um, they won't help. Exactly, yeah. that they, it doesn't help. Yeah. I'm here now. No. This is me. The totality of my experience yeah. made me who I am. Own it. Very move true. forward from this point. You know, so yeah. it's um, it's and and that's and that's very very important. You know, for anybody who is listening, that um, no matter the regrets you have, don't dwell on them. Don't dwell on yeah. them. They, they, they are just going to hold you, and you know, but you know, you yeah. have to just keep keep moving forward. You know, keep moving forward, continually adapting 
to all the changes and scenarios that you are being faced with. I like that. Yeah. So you're a father. You have two kids. Yes, I, I'm, I'm a father. You I have are... two kids. And, uh, yeah, you have a, a, a teenage son, right? I have a teenage son. He's 15. He turned 15 this year. He's 15 already? He's 15 already. Time flies. Wow. Yeah, time flies. And, wow. Um, and then he's, you have um, a daughter. I have, I, have, yeah. I have a daughter. You're right. So, um, yeah. Adania. So, um, Chine Duman Adania. My daughter will be two by... Father's jewel, right? Father's daughter. So it's uh, the more common version of it is Adana, but Adana. yeah, but oh, I I, I like to personalize the names of my kids like Chinedum. God leads me, not yeah. God leads yeah. Adana. Yeah, you know, like the father's daughter. So it's um I see. yeah. I see. It's kind of like my name. My name is Mutolani. Some will have Omotolani, meaning children, mm. but Mo is like me. Like don't you do it? So I don't like you calling me Omotolani. Yeah. Cause that's not my name. Like, make it personal. Personal. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. So, so, two kids. What would you say has been the most rewarding um, thing for you being a father? <sighs> so, like, um, and you did it in two different. Like, there's a huge chasm between the two of them. Because yeah. the age gap between your kids is like really wide. They are really, they are really wide. I mean, um, as most yeah. most could guess, um, I had my son before I came to the US, and um, yeah. funny. Um, you know, growing up, when I met, we are reading all the action novels. I was reading all the Mills and Boone and stuff. And I, I said, <laughs> to put into. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you, were you, were you, did they walk you to the guidance and counseling? No. That's how that happened. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that's it, right? So, but, um, frankly, it's, um, he came at an interesting time in my life, and um, his mom was my first love, really, real one. So, but unfortunately, differences in family, all those Nigerian thing about family, family getting married, not agreeing on things, kind of destroyed our young love. And um, night, we were not bold enough to defy our parents at the time. So, yeah. How old were you? I was twenty-three. Oh, I was twenty-three. Yeah, I thought I was prepared, but I. You were in medical school. I was in medical right? school. I was getting ready. Uh, was, she, was she in medical school? No, she was not in medical school. She was not even in um, UI. She was in Delta State University. Guy, how you think you have Yeah. <laughs> you know, it happened. Well, thank God, thank God for Rotary again. You know what I say? I blame Rotary. Rotary? Thank God for Rotary again, you know, but... Um, See, this is what you mean by you credit Rotary to the biggest thing in the world. Yes, this is one of these Yes, this, oh. this is one of them, you know. So, I mean, we, we're friends today, you know, even though we're not together, but we're friends. So, you know, and um, he, was, he has this way, you know, you have this thoughts about all you want to do in your life, how you be as a father, how you be as a this, then it happens. And you realize that the theory is different from practice. But it was an interesting time because um, his coming also helped me realize that um, my medical studies was not the side show, that it was the main show, that the, mm. the, those other things that I had considered the side show up until that point was yeah, they, 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 they were the ones that were the stuff. I've had, I've had it said before that you, you become an adult when you have a kid. Would you say that was what that applied to you as well? I would, I would, I would say I agree with that because okay. it certainly made me feel a lot more responsible because I realized my actions no longer affected just me. I had another life to that to be responsible for, you know, and that kind of like had affected. Um, or continue to affect how I take other decisions from that point onwards, and even my interactions with you know with people like yeah, mm-hmm. and 
Yeah, I mean, sometimes it made me a little bit less fun. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, but it was it was interesting because I I now had the opportunity to tell myself that all those things that um I felt I did not I would have wanted differently while I was growing up because I was a child of retirement. My dad was retired when I was born. That all those things, this is my opportunity to you know to give my son different. You know, yeah. yeah. So and having my daughter two years ago kind of like um was refreshing because i thought i had done it before i thought i was a veteran but i real it was almost like as if i couldn't recall anything about my son's child you know, do you know what this reminded me of what when you wanted to write your usmle and start reading for the crib cycle and i was like <laughs> i know i know this thing but i don't remember i thought i knew this thing but i don't remember yeah. it's been such a huge time gap between the first time you did it and the second time you're doing it exactly yeah. Exactly. So it was um it was me trying to figure that again and um the funny thing was my son telling me, No, daddy should be like this. <laughs> 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 yeah, so he was yes, um so you know, having both of them in the house, you know, um kind of also helped me work life balance because um before my, I had my daughter, before I brought my son over, yeah. I literally lived for work. When I'm not at work, I'm at Rotary. I get home very, I leave very early, I get home very late, and I bring work back home. Yeah. But having them, I realize, look, at a certain time, I have to leave work, rush, that I could pick up my daughter from the daycare. I know my son is home, I have to check in and see what he's doing. On weekends, I need to make out time for them. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of helped me to start pulling back to try to manage my time a little bit better to do something other than, other than work. And, that has been very refreshing, you know, seeing them, you know, watching what they do, laughing at some of it. Yeah. It's been refreshing. Um, so you know you have a... a yes, I do have a travel agency. Can you, in, few, in short words, can you let us know what you do and you know, how that's... Uh, okay, so um, for those who've been listening to the podcast now, you see I've talked about <laughs> a lot of travels. I've moved around a lot. So um, travel has always been a good part of me, and I have friends always asking me for... for um travel advice and all that so in 2005 um my wife said oh you know we need to start a business we're both employed she's working as a clinician she's a nurse and me working as a healthcare administrator and she says we need to start a business i was like okay fine and by the way that was one of the things she she says her mind she says what she wants and all that which is one of the one of the things i like about her so yeah. when she said we need to start a business, I said, yeah, 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 that's a good idea. So what do we start? You know, it has to be something we both like to, and it has to be something we both used to. And I thought that um, well, we both want to do something in healthcare, but given the stage at which we are, none of us can dedicate full time. So we needed something that we could start off doing immediately that would not take up much of our time. And we thought of it. I travel a lot. I give travel advice. Why not monetize that? That was what um, gave birth to BCA Travels. BCA Travels is um, the home-based travel agency. Um, it's a full-service travel agency. So what full in, service um, we, we take care of all aspects of travel, um, from helping you to plan to trips with the properties you would use, and then um, helping with the comes up up until you return. So we handle missions, um, we handle international flights, we handle um, hotel bookings, both home and international, and we, we do cruises also. So um, we we offer what I 
would like to call a concierge service, which means um, we do we take the worry and the stress out of it for you. All you need mm-hmm. to do, you're thinking about traveling, you know um, you want to move from point A to point B, just let us know what your options are, and then we take care of all the researches for you, and we come back with options. You look at the option, if any of them works for you, go ahead with booking it. If none of the options work, we keep searching until we get your, your option for you. Come up, you know you want to have a vacation, but you don't even have an idea where you should go or where you should we yeah. take care of figuring that out. So we find out what your preferences are, you know, and then we figure out vacation path for you. Right. And um, what's good is that we um, do not have a service fee because one of the worries people have with agencies is what's their service fee. Do not yeah. um, put anything on top of what the vendors will collect. So we promise you if the vendor is going to collect $500, that $500 is all you're going to pay. So how so, do you make your money? Right. So how we make our money is through commissions. So and these uh, commissions come from the vendors. So it's because so almost like yeah, like yeah, those um real estate agents or even those that help you look for apartments, they don't charge you directly, but then the, you know the the, the, the apartment pays uh, them or the exactly the seller pays them. They don't charge the buyer. Uh, exactly. So, so it's um for the for what's the need for an airline that uses a travel agency? It makes sure no seats run empty. So maybe this tell mm. would um tell this for would have been empty anyways. Exactly. Yeah. So but we make we make sure that their properties are filled and um in return they give us a percentage. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's ten percent, depending on the volume of our business with them. And um you when we when you book through us the same benefits you would have as if you booked through the uh, through the airline you would have. If you are going, if you are part of their loyalty program, just give us your loyalty number. We we'll ensure you earn your points for that stay. You want to um, upgrade with points? Of course, you can still upgrade with points when when you book through us. But one of the things, one of the um, misconceptions people have sometimes when they come is they come in, they book a promo price that is very restrictive, and they want to upgrade with points. There are some based on the fare and how much you pay, even when you book directly with the property, there are some fares that are not eligible for upgrade. So it's some of the things that are but we um when we work with you as a client, we make sure that we um we explain all these things to you. And for those listening, um if you come to us to book just because you listen to this podcast or you're a fan of this podcast and yeah. you quote I'm liking this part by the way. Quote for us, <laughs> you quote for us Mosi Bill as your source, as your code, you're going to get a discount on what yeah. you're booking. You're going to get a thirty dollar discount. Per, and here's the good part of it, it's per person. So even if they are each of you is going to get a $30 discount and it's not a one time use even for repeat customers if you quote it you get it so um, thank you I didn't know about the repeat part and I feel like I even have to use that code as well (laughs) it's almost like googling myself (laughs) I like (laughs) well at least you know you know what they say we all are manager we have to prop each other up so we all have to prop each other up and um like like the vendors i use would give me a commission for bringing clients to them people coming to me through this program is like i'm getting a free airtime a free advert so for me i view it as the cost of doing business so yes so um you 
You're welcome to come try us. And one of the things I promise, especially if you're looking for airfare, is that when you come to us, we can make a booking for you on an airline without getting it and send it to you. So you have a you have a 48 hour period of knowing you have a seat on the airline, looking at it and deciding if this is for me or not, with no obligation to issue to ask us to issue tickets. If at any point during that 48 hour period you decide this is for me, you go ahead, give instructions, we issue your ticket for you. If at the end of the 48 hours, you decide this is not for you. No, not, not, nothing lost, you know. So giving you the confidence of, you know, that you made a booking and then after they've issued your ticket, you realize there's a mistake and you're having issues with the travel agent saying, change my name, do not change my name. We, we eliminate that by making sure that before tickets are issued, that you have this guilt-free, you know, worry-free, no-cost um, time of knowing I have this booking, my names are right, my seats are right, and everything. That's a good deal. So you guys um, get on over to bcatravels.com. B as in Bravo, C as in Charlie, A as in Alpha, and then travels with the S at the end, dot com. And then make sure you fill in that code. You get $30 off every time you want to fly. And then there's a $10 discount as well. For hotels, $10. yes. There's $10 yeah. discount. But it has to be a minimum booking of two. Yes. Yeah. Initially, when you told when you told me about, it, I was like, most people want to do things for themselves. But I I remember recently I had to purchase a ticket for a family member that was coming here, and it was just stressing me out, having to like compare stuff, having to go online, and you know the time. And me, I always want to compare, like even the the layovers, the time. I was like, I wish I had somebody to do this yeah. for me. And then your message came. I was like. Oh, dang it. Next time I'll make sure I use it. Yes. So you think you can do it all until you find yourself really, you know, cramped for time. And like, I wish I could outsource it. And the good thing about your business is you guys don't even charge services. No. I work for an institution. They charge my boss, like my employer, like $10, $20 sometimes to book a ticket for my flights when I have to travel for work yeah. on every flight. And that really adds up because I travel yeah. a lot. So you guys are not even charging. So you guys head on over to bcatravels.com and go sort out your, um, make sure you use the most people code. Yes, please do. You put that in at the beginning because you it. Yes. Anyways, well, uh, we've talked at length today. We've, we've explored a lot. Thanks for sharing your story. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel like I, 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 I knew, I know you, but I knew more of you too. Oh. Yeah, especially your growing up part and then your brother, your brother. Yeah, you my... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh my goodness. And he's a pharmacist. Yes, he's a pharmacist, yes. Um, <laughs> just growing up, the, the challenges with that and how you've just been able to make something out of yourself. Yeah. And even the legacy you're leaving behind for your two kids, you being a husband, and then from medicine to public health. And I'll say this again, thanks for being such a good friend to me and my husband. All the times we've reached out to you for you know advice on, yeah. on especially on visas and immigration <laughs> and all that. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for you know mm. just your wealth mm. of information and yeah. just you know you've been there for us at some very very tough times yeah. and thanks for coming on the show most importantly thanks for inviting for your poem as well and I love how you elegantly represented your business because I didn't even know that much mm. about it and I will send this out to everybody and you know you know more money to you means more money to me so you guys please <laughs> <laughs> go go to my friend's website and book those flights and book those hotels please. so i can oh. get some, some small change are, are there any final thoughts you have before i round it up? oh well thank you for um inviting me i i like what you're doing i mean um especially the um tilt you're giving it you know focusing on um people who are trying to find themselves here in the u.s you know um yeah. it's it's something that i think that um should be more publicized. Um, I've been I've been going through your podcast and the the fact that I get updates each time you come up. I think if many more international students, people or people who are thinking to come over, you know, listening to some of it, 
you've yeah. had some very interesting guests on the show who've discussed Thank the various you. challenges um, they are going through. I think it would really, it would really be helpful, you know. Um, because it reminds me of a saying that my people have. They say the child who does not have a mom um, learns mm. from what those who have mom, what their mom tells them. So, hmm. you know, listening through this, people could glean from experiences of your guests. So yeah. thanks yeah. for doing this. Well, thanks. And thanks for adding to that pool of you know, experiences as well. And if you do know anybody that will be a good fit for the podcast, someone that you know might want to talk and share their stories. Okay. It's a platform for me as much as for everybody else that wants to come and talk. Because I want people to keep learning, like you said. you know, We all learn. Imagine if they, if they had this platform when I was coming here. I probably would have had a, a much an enlightening experience. I wouldn't have had to struggle in some areas. But I don't have any regrets on, regarding that. You know, It's just what it was meant to yeah. be. But if you know any people, any person or a group of people that would that have a story, I don't, I don't really care what story. I mean, I care about the story, but I'm not restricting myself to any mm. kind of story. Even things I don't necessarily agree with, but I, I know there might be an audience yeah. for. We can also have conversations around that. Thank you. And by the way, I sent you the poem, so. I oh really? Just, okay. Yes, yes. Let me see. Oh, I see it now. Sorry, I don't. I try not to touch my yes. device when I'm podcasting, yes. so I'm not getting distracted. Yes. And it was during during pathology. It was during right? pathology class. Yes. We know why you didn't become a pathologist. <laughs> <laughs> listen. <laughs> you were not listening in class. <laughs> Speaking of which, you know, do you, I write poems as when I write yeah. stories. You don't believe where I, where my inspiration comes comes from most of the time. In church, in church. Wow. <laughs> doing the sermon yeah. in church. Speaking of which, I have to go to church now, meaning, aka, I have to go and write for us. He just goes up to church, and my husband's like, What are you doing? You're yeah. writing again in church. I'm like, Oh, man. The is inspiration coming. Welcome. It's coming yeah. in church. Like, you have the right, idea. Yeah. Like, I'm, and I have a, a, I always carry like a notepad with me to like write. Yeah. Stuff, but, yeah. Anyways, well, <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Yeah. Everyone, this has been the Mossable Podcast. Um, if you love this show, if you love the content of what you're listening to today, head on over to the website, www.mosible.com. Or even on iTunes, you can subscribe. Hit that subscribe button so you can get alerts when new episodes are uploaded on Thursdays. And even take a step further and uh, email me just to let me know what you liked or what you didn't like. And um, I look forward to getting those emails or just hearing from you guys. All right, I remain your host, Mosible, and have a wonderful day ahead. All right, Buchi, yeah. I will catch you on the no other problem. side. No problem. Yeah, so bye. All right, take care. My guys to Madame. I would, I would, yeah. All right, bye. bye. <laughs>